Well, hey, I want to welcome you again to Soul City Church. My name is Jarrett Stevens, and I'm one of the lead pastors. Uh, we are a church located in the heart of downtown Chicago, but we have folks who are part of our church from literally all over the world. So what I'd love for you to do right now is actually take a second as we move into this time of, of listening and teaching. And I want you to put in the comment section where you're joining us from. So let us know what neighbor, I love this part every weekend, what neighborhood you're from, what city you're from, what state you're from, what country you're from. Just go ahead right now, whatever, wherever you're watching this and put that in the comment section. And I want to, I don't know, just try this this weekend. Let's have a little competition, right? We'll put in the comment section where you're from. Let's see who can comment from the furthest point away from Chicago. So who's watching from the furthest location away this week and who's joining us from there? And I don't know what you win, if you win, or even how you would collect your prize because you're so far away. But let's just, let's just see who wins anyway. Listen, you no doubt know that, that our country right now is, is having a moment. It's having a moment. And it is a moment of profound anger, of sadness, of outrage, of protest, of God willing, change. You know that this moment is sparked by the senseless murder of George Floyd by four Minneapolis police officers, but it's fueled by 400 years of injustice and systemic racism and the abuse of power and the refusal to see people of color as equals and to treat them as such. Make no mistake, don't miss this, Soul City. This is a reckoning. Time for folks to wake up and see the reality of where we are, who we've become, and in many ways, who we've always been. It's a moment for reform and to dismantle the racist systems that have benefited some and marginalized and mistreated everyone else. It's a moment, I believe, to begin to do the work that God has been inviting us into from the very foundation of this nation. And listen, this is the work. It's a work of repentance. It's a work of reconciliation. It's a work of reform and a work of renewal. I believe that there's a work that God is not only inviting this nation into, but I believe he's inviting me into it. It's my work. And it may be your work as well. Because all of us have our work to do in the midst of this. This is a significant moment. All of us have a part to play and none of us can remain silent. Not anymore. Earlier this week, in a time of seeking God and tears and in anger and frustration, God brought me to a part of the Bible that I honestly was not expecting. In fact, it was a part of the Bible I've skipped over most of my life because it's found in Proverbs 31 which is known as this beautiful and powerful picture of womanhood in Proverbs 31. At least that's how I grew up understanding Proverbs 31. But right before that section where it talks about this powerful image of womanhood, right before that, there are two verses that God brought me to that struck me to my core and it helped to shape what we're focusing on for the month of June and well beyond as a church. And I just want to read these verses that you might have missed from Proverbs 31, verses 8 and 9. This is what it says coming out of the New Living Translation. It says this. Listen to this. Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. Ensure justice for those being crushed. Yes, speak up for the poor and helpless and see that they get justice. These words come from the very heart of God. It's a call 
to open my eyes, to open our eyes, to open our hearts, to open our mouths, to open our hands. Listen, you don't need me to tell you this, but but I'm going to say it anyway. This is an imperfect church. I know it's a shocker to hear me say that. I am an imperfect pastor. So is Jeannie. Although if she were here, she'd tell you she's a little less imperfect than me. We're not a perfect church. I'm not a perfect pastor. But that doesn't mean that we can't be better, that we can't do better, that we can't listen and lean in, that we can't speak up and, and speak out against injustice, against racism, against those who would seek to oppress, to ensure, as Proverbs 31, 8 and 9 says, to ensure justice for those being crushed systemically and literally to the point that they can't breathe. Enough is enough. This church will not be silent. So to help us speak up, we're actually passing the mic We're sharing the mic this month. We've asked pastors and authors and activists and friends to help us see better, to listen deeper, and to help all of us do the work that God is inviting each of us to do. And I couldn't be more excited to kick off these conversations than with my friend, Charles Jenkins. Charles and I have known each other for a while. My wife, Jeannie, his wife, Tara, we've been friends here in the city of Chicago. They have been voices in our life and into our church. And we are so honored to hear from and to learn from Charles Jenkins. So from wherever you're at on your couch or in your kitchen, would you just give a standing Soul City welcome, like a standing ovation to my buddy, Charles Jenkins. Charles. My dear brother. My brother. How are you? Here we go. How are you? I'm good, man. I'm very glad to see you. Very glad to be with you. Thank you. uh, Thank you for having me. Well, listen, it means a lot to me that um, when we saw kind of everything that was unfolding this last week, I just reached out to you and I said, hey, would you be willing to speak into our church? And without missing a beat, you just hopped right on and said, yeah, of course, I would love to. And that, that means the world to me and to Jeannie and to our church. So thank you for being so available to us. Now, you're not the first Jenkins to speak at Soul City Church, though, because your wife spoke years ago at Soul City Church. And for some reason, in all these years, and I've had the honor of speaking at Fellowship. You've invited me to speak. Yeah. So listen, what we realized after your wife is we don't want to ruin a good thing by bringing you in. And so this, you know, it was a little break of protocol to actually ask you to come speak here. But I'm so honored that you would come and that you would speak into our church. Why don't you take a second and just tell us a little bit about yourself, your family, where you're at, what you're up to these days. Um, I am uh, a native of St. Petersburg, Florida, Chicago, became a part of my life. I came to go to Moody Bible Institute. Um, God put this church called Fellowship on my mind. Long story short, I ended up leading uh, this very influential African-American church. My predecessor, uh, Reverend Clay Evans, pastor for 50 years and uh, just iconic uh, man. Um, At the height of the civil rights movement in the 60s, Dr. King wanted to come to Chicago. He was turned away by so many ministers. Hmm. We were having our new church building 
um, built. And Mayor Richard J. Daley did not want, the father did not want Dr. King to come to town. Long story short, he calls Reverend Evans and says, if you allow King to come to town, I will stop the construction on your church. Reverend Evans said, it's not your church, it's not my church. Uh, it's God's church. It will be built with or without you. Mm. King came, spoke. The next day, the tractors pulled off the lot, the bank reneged on the lawn, and the steel frame stood for seven years. Wow. Uh, and it became an international symbol of righteousness, justice, equality. Harry Belafonte, Sidney Poitier, uh, Nelson Mandela, uh, all came. There were prayer meetings in the snow under the steel frame. People laughed. Um, and so that's the place, yeah. the, the history, legacy, and heritage that I was privileged to serve for, for 20 years and still buried, connected, in, yeah, and right. serving in Chicago. We're currently in, in Los Angeles, California. And yeah. I'm executive producing three movies. One of them is on the life of Emmett Till. And so wow. um, sharing messages of, of truth yeah. um, and, and looking to lead change through and empower people and inspire people through creative content. Man, that is, that is amazing. And even while you were, you know, you stepped into those big shoes of Dr. Evans, you always have had music and art and all kinds of stuff going on on the side that just happens um, to be now what you are now doing as your full-time gig and, and continuing to love and lead people in, into the way of Jesus um, in a totally different medium and in a much uh, sunnier, more beautiful place right now during wintertime, at least, that you get to do that. So we feel nothing but um, anger that you get to live in such a beautiful place right now. But it's incredible to consider, you know, as you have um, been walking through, you know, the events of this last week. And I want to get right into it, if we could, Charles, like into the events of this last week. You know that the events of this last week are not only just about this last week and a half, two weeks are not only just about the last week and a half and two weeks. You know that the, the spark of the murder of George Floyd is, was fueled by 400 years of the example you just even used, a fellowship, you know, of this systemic abuse of power and racism from the very top to the very core of who we are. Um, so I would just love for you to kind of speak into, for folks watching, for folks joining us this weekend, as best you can from your perspective as a pastor, as an artist, as a black man, speak into how we got here. How is it that we got here to where we're at in this particular moment as a country? You know, it, it is, it, it feels like it's so complex and it's so simple. Anybody listening to me can, can look, historically look, look up the historical context of the things that, that I describe as they all run through my mind at the same time. You know, uh, we, we are African at the root of our ethnic descent. And, you know, I, I had the privilege to go to, I think it's the Elmina, uh, E-L-M-I-N-A or Elmina slave castle in Ghana. And uh, our people were kings, queens, princes, yeah. uh, miners, merchants, um, 
in 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 West Africa in particular, uh, um, we we just profoundly rich agriculture all across the continent. But speaking to this particular slave castle, how that even came to be was, as I understand it, our people were trading with Mediterranean uh, terrain and and uh, Portugal and, and other places around the world trading gold and ivory and diamonds and all of those kinds of things. And as our people um, were harvesting and, and trading uh, Portugal, uh, Spain, the Spaniards, they, they, they were um, just overwhelmed by what was coming out of Africa and they came to Africa. And uh, the Portuguese and the Dutch and, and others um, in, in European and European context that we traded with came and ultimately uh, took over is the best way I can describe yeah. it as a short version. Yeah. All of the wealth that was in Africa, yeah. um, firearms were introduced mm. and uh, our people were overtaken, um, held at gunpoint, the mines were subdued, we ended up being enslaved and consequently put out of our own land. Yeah. And so when you look at how we even got to America, yeah. we were put out of yeah. uh, our own land because of the wealth that was possessed there right. and brought to America and and uh, subservient, um, seen as, as, as less than an animal. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's always amazing when I hear these stories and statements of, of how black people were looked at in America when we were minding our business, right. uh, doing good business with the other parts of the world, right. and greed and selfishness yeah. uh, came into Africa yeah. and took what was ours, took from us what was ours, put us out. We came to America not because we were wanted to, we were brought over. In Africa, they were putting people in shackles and at the Elmina slave castle where I was at. The stories that I heard of our people being put in these slave dungeons for months at a time, no bathrooms, no food, no water, and there would a ship would arrive uh, and in shackles we would be led uh, to the ships through a door called the door of no return, uh, the mm -hmm. point of no return. Mm -hmm. uh, and the craziest thing, Jared, that I saw as I wept on those grounds was a church mm -hmm. sat above the slave castle and they had worship and they prayed and the slave castle was overseen by ministers, uh, which in some senses is the reason why uh, there are some black people who vehemently reject of Christian faith. Mm -hmm. uh, and so uh, that's how we got here, coming to America, being subservient. And, and even when you look at the White House, um, 
we carried the bulk labor of the White House. Right. Black people right. built it. Built the White House. Right. You can Google. You no, can look yeah, it up I at do. every level. Yeah. And there's so many other ways that black hands built up this country. Right. And uh, to see how we are portrayed, how yeah. we are treated, yeah. when you look at the foundation of our ethnicity as being kings and queens, independent. Uh, empowering, uplifting, yeah. and and uh, peaceful at the core. Yeah, yeah. I mean, what you just said, Charles, is this was baked in from the beginning that there's this belief that there is a race, or that any race is better than any other race. That plus capitalism plus greed fueled the enslavement of the stealing of the robbing of the wealth, the identity, the place of African folks, and then, and then it was validated. It was backed up by a system, a country, and like you even said, and many times a complicit church that taught that theology, that went along with that. Not all, not exclusive, but plenty of that, that kind of went along with that. And so that was baked in from the beginning. And, you know, I, I know that along the way, it, there, it has been a long, you know, a long arc towards justice, and we are not there. There have been some moments, but this moment feels very significant. And even as we're recording this, events are unfolding even as we are recording this. And, you know, this moment feels different when it comes to Big Floyd and his murder. It, it, for some reason, something has happened that hasn't happened since the assassination of Martin Luther King, where there have been protests in every major city and every state, and now around the world there have been protests from this man's life, from a counterfeit $20 bill, allegedly, that his life was ended senselessly and brutally. There has been this reaction globally to it, beyond you know what we've seen from any other sort of situation, and none of them are, are like this, but it, there have been other hashtags, which is a terrible thing to have to say, you know? So why do you think, you know, beyond Breonna Taylor and Ahmaud Aubrey, if that wasn't enough for us to wake up, Stefan Clark and Flando Castile and Laquan McDonald, you know, here, Michael Brown, Eric Garner, here, you know, like, why do you think this moment is, is catalyzing and hopefully breaking things open for us? Why, why, what was your sense of why this moment feels so different from other significant moments? You know, it, 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 there's so many thoughts that are, that are, and emotions that are running through me. It's a tipping point. Yeah. It, it's a breaking point. And, and I think, you know, all of the shootings of unarmed black people has been horrific. There's so many of us that have felt every single one of them yes. uh, and could feel like it's any one of us. I went to take my kids for a ride the other day and, and my oldest daughter said, Daddy, uh, what do we do if you get pulled over? Uh, and, and, and so I think this one, seeing that officer's knee on his neck for almost nine minutes, I guess, and driving his knee into his neck as he occasionally glanced up at the bystanders, knowing that he was recorded, yeah. uh, no attempt 
to try to conceal or but kind of explicit in your face yeah. I hate y'all yeah those that are racist those are racist we hate y'all and this is for all of us yeah yeah. This isn't just me. This is for all. It, it was a visceral yeah. uh, hatred. You could see it in his eye and you could see it in his action. Yeah. You and I both have heard of stories of, of lynching. Right. Um, um, shooting someone is kind of quick. It's kind of it's kind of fast. It's terrible. But yeah. but it's somebody shot. They fall. Yeah. But seeing him. That long, for deliberate evil, yeah. Almost 10 minutes yeah. driving his knee. I think anybody who had a heart yeah. at all, yeah. it, it broke everybody. I, I cried. I couldn't stop so the tears from coming out of my eyes. Yeah. Me and Bishop T.D. Jakes did a conversation like this, and, and this segment came up, and we both shut down on location. Anybody with a heart. Yeah. And and I think people seeing it, because the deal of it is... Uh, this didn't just start happening. It just it's just being filmed, right? Right. Being filmed, right. and for a person like me, who in Chicago, I've served on the board of trustees for the City College of Chicago. Let's break all the stereotypes. So many stereotypes. I, I've I've served on the advisory board of the Attorney General, the Treasurer, uh, Clear Channel. I've been a commissioner commissioner for the Juvenile Justice Commission for the state, and I ain't keep going. Right. I, I I've been pulled over. Right. Three, four times, right. and the officers could not tell me why I was pulled over. Right. And because of whatever role I had, I don't know what came up when they ran my tax, right. but they'll just say, get out of here. Why did you pull me over? Right. Well, I got so many other brothers and sisters that don't have the benefit of whatever yeah, role you had, yeah. or whatever tags or titles mm-hmm. who are harassed by the police all gone. I've been in a building that I lived in. Where a seasoned white man walked up to me and said, what are you doing in here? How'd you, why, why are you here? Alderman Ed Burke in Chicago, who I was at his office. Uh, I, 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 was, I was at, a, at an event at the Metropolitan Club, and I walked down in to go to the restroom. I said, Alderman, he said, how did you get in here? What are you doing in here? Mm. Uh, I, I, I mean... I, I've been followed around in grocery stores as early as a month ago by security in the grocery store. I walk into retail stores and watch the customer service rep not speak to me, but speak to the white person who comes in after me. Uh, and so on an everyday basis, uh, I, I, I never forget when we uh, went to buy, my wife and I to buy our first home in our name. I had saved my money. I had good credit. I also was an owner in a business, so I had K-1s that I could show. And I called a friend, Dr. Sam Chan, one of the most influential uh, leader consultants Mm -hmm. in the world. Mm -hmm. And I said, Doc, I'm getting ready to buy this house. What kind of loan should I be looking for? He said, you qualify for a library loan, interest only. I still end up with a subprime loan. With a with a thirteen percent interest rate, and and when I went to address it with the attorney general, uh, one of my team members, who I won't mention, a very influential white man in Chicago, said to me, "Pastor, you can't launch a lawsuit because uh, you'll be in a situation 
where uh, the bank, the big bank that, the, that had the loan, they'll launch this whole thing and our project will get killed because of the politics of it all if you try to fight for a different interest rate. I mean, I can keep going. So, so, so a lot of the rage, a lot of the, there's so many people who look at George Floyd and say, in one way or another, there's a knee on my neck every single day, in some way or another. Yeah. And, and I'm smiling to keep from crying yeah. because it is, it's, it's, it's a moment in time for so many people to see this on TV and for those of us who live our lives every single day, it's uh, some form of a knee being on us in one way or another. And the system is as such that either it says, oh, no, that didn't happen. Right. Or, oh, that's not real. Right. Or, oh, you'll be okay. And it's just ignored or dismissed. Somebody on my Facebook page this week when I posted uh comments about how African-Americans pay more for mortgages and pay more for car loans and are less likely to get business loans, even with good credit in, and, and, and are less likely to be able, it, it, the list is so long. Mm -hmm. and, and this white guy came on my page and said, none of that is true. And, and so that is the kind of stuff that enrages black people when you watch a non-black person theoretically, analytically tell us what we're not experiencing. And I don't care how much money we have, I don't care how much education we have, I don't care. I don't, it, it never changes yeah. my, my wealthy, influential friends tell me when they're in boardrooms and in corporate situations, they are still treated uh, like they are less than, and I think that is the the driver of this whole conversation from the days of slavery to this point. You're here, yeah. and, and, and white is here, and you stay in your place. Right. And the minute you try to get out of your place or you try to speak against it, right. Martin Luther King, we kill you. Yeah. Mega Evers, we kill you. Yeah. Fred Hampton, the minute you say that you want to protect your community and you are tired of us being killed by police, we seize you on while you're asleep and kill you. Yeah. And so, and, 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 and it's black voices that scream as our white brothers and sisters, not all, but in many instances are quiet. Yeah. And complicit. In, in some in some way, because, yeah, the, the, the reason that white folks are here is because of the work, the effort, the the enslavement of black folks and their contribution to this country. And so you're exactly right. You think about specific individuals like that or you think of even things like the war on drugs. So we're going to create we're going to create a war on drugs. which sounds great on the surface, but it specifically targets black people. You think of the prison industrial complex where you go, oh, here's our new here's our new way to keep folks enslaved. We're, we're going to just keep folks, not just a person leaders. We'll do that. And we'll keep whole people groups because that is what keeps us going. And it feels like to me and my hope and my prayer is that is breaking in this moment. God, I hope there's a lot of work to do for it to break. And God willing, once it breaks. But that is what it feels like. I mean, I don't. I, that's a, me over here. Is that? Are you getting that sense right now? Well, well, today here, here's why it's breaking. This isn't rocket science. 
uh, Jared. It, it's breaking in all. Uh, it's breaking because of three things. Number one, there will never be protesters on the outside when justice is coming from the inside. Hmm. And I think it's important to know that our God is a just God, and justice is a big word in the Bible yes. too. Yeah. And I think it's a word that many people hopscotch over. It it calls upon us yes. to, to do too much, be yes. too much. We we have to be confrontational. Right. We have to be courageous. Right. Uh, we have to demonstrate conviction. Right. We 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 have to have strength in our compassion because compassion, uh, the word in its root means I feel your pain. Yeah. It calls upon me to identify with. Yeah. To identify with where you are, which means I may feel some duress or stress or strain. If we are all brothers and sisters it and it's right, right and wrong and right. not black and white, what's breaking is, is, is they arrested the guy. Uh, what caused all of the, mm -hmm. uh, the wild protests is... When he took his knee off of Floyd's neck and he died, all of those officers got officers got to go home, right, to to be with their families. Right. And and in our community, when we are innocent, we are killed, yeah, like Floyd was. Yeah. When we are guilty, we get killed, right. And and if we live, we do more time for the same crime than our white counterparts. And so seeing that officer arrested, recently seeing these other officers charged, uh, that there was some there was some hope that maybe uh, our, our white uh, friends, our white brothers and sisters uh, are stepping up in ways that they haven't. That mayor in Minnesota, yeah. we hadn't seen a white leader come out with the emotion that he had and say, this hurt me too. Yeah. That's the compassion I'm talking about. Yeah. Arrest him. Yeah. Convict him. Yeah. Sentence him. Yeah. It, it, it's what's needed in this culture to break it is white compassion, yeah. white conviction, yeah. white courage. Yeah. Uh, because because uh, white people are sitting in these seats of influence and being complicit. Complicit. Mm -hmm. There's in Chicago when Laquan McDonald was 16 shots in the back, and Jason Van Dyke got 6.75 years. That was his sentence. Mm -hmm. In the reverse, for not killing anybody. We end up with 25-year sentences right. uh, on, on so many different kinds of charges. Right. And so I, I feel like what you're seeing and, and I'm seeing is the breaking is white compassion, white courage. I, it warms my heart to see all of the white brothers and sisters that are out there on the street mm -hmm. uh, marching. And unfortunately... The police are mishandling them. I, I, I saw a guy on uh, so on the news yesterday, a white guy who uh, felt like he was violated uh, during the protest, felt mm -hmm. like he was mistreated. And then the police 
ignored him, mishandled him. He was so, now he- He got a small taste, yeah, right. He got a small taste, right. and he's like, I can't believe I can't police believe would ever do it. <laughs> I'm so disappointed. My wife is a sergeant. I would never imagine. And now, now yeah. he has to experience yeah. it. Yeah. And I'm sitting back watching the news saying, welcome. <laughs> welcome to the party, <laughs> pal. Yeah. Huh? Welcome to the party, pal. Like, yeah, this is where we've been at. Yeah. yeah. I hope. So I hope. No, 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 no. That's why I asked you. That's why I asked you, and that's why I wanted to to have you speak in because it is, you know, there are systemic and you know philosophical frameworks, but all of those have personal impact. All of those. So you, you can. We have to go after and and. To move God's justice forward means dismantling demonic systems of racism. That's what they are. But they all each have a personal impact. Some, for many folks, and I would say every person of color, just about every single person of color, that is a negative impact. There's like, without, you can just walk down the line. And for certainly most white folks, the impact is some form of benefit, some sort of, my life is a little easier, I don't have to worry about these things, like the guy you just talked about, I never have to ever think about police brutality until it happened to me, right? So it's, it is very personal. I just wanted to ask if I can lean in a little bit more, Charles, on the personal side of things. You're a dad, you have three beautiful children. How do you talk to them about this? How have you been having, how, how have you guys been holding these conversations and I know this week these last two weeks aren't the first times you ever had these conversations with your kids you've been talking about this with them a long time how do you as just a parent who loves God trying to raise kids who love God in this country that we live in how are you talking about this you know um I I, I we're honest with them in a uh, the way I want to say is we we talk to them with civility um, we 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 try to communicate with them in a way that will enable them to grow up and not uh, have a hate in them that's uh, pushed out toward that could be pushed out towards them and has been. Yeah, we we've we've gone to a park uh, and and a white kid came up to my son and said. What are you doing here? You don't belong here, nigger. Uh, and my daughters have experienced some similar things. So those conversations have been very hard. Mm-hmm. When my kids have never experienced anything like that, they love everybody. Right. Uh, as you are my friend, right. you know, they see black, white, Asian, Hispanic. They, they see all colors come around. Right. So they know that we're diverse. We love everybody. Right. Um, and simultaneously, there are a specific group of people that have a sin, a hatred uh, in their heart. And that's what it is. Yeah, it it's is. sin. It's sin, yeah. There's... At the core of it, yeah. it it's sin. Yeah. And so we try to communicate in those terms uh, to them in a, in, a, in a way to say that there are some people who just don't have the right perspective, yeah. don't have the right outlook. We give them history and paint pictures for them to help them understand. 
everybody isn't bad. Everybody isn't wrong. Uh, there are some people. Yeah. Here's what your mindset needs to be. Yeah. One of love, mm-hmm. one of education. Mm-hmm. And then you just got to be prepared to protect yourself, yeah. which is the other conversation. Mm-hmm. Uh, or you got to be prepared to get away, mm-hmm. call us. Uh, it, it's, it's really complicated mm-hmm. to talk to black kids in this culture. And, and even to, you know, with them having a black father, you know, uh, there, there was a curfew set the other day. I was at the studio doing some work. My wife called me and was like, when are you coming home? Mm-hmm. The kids are worried to death. Mm-hmm. Uh, they met me at the door, hugging me like they didn't think I was coming back. Uh, and and curfew, you know, you have uh, some reprieve if you're coming to and from work. Mm-hmm. But they just, yeah. every time I walk through the door, Living that kind of life uh, is rocket science, and you hope emotionally this does not have an adverse effect on them. Yeah. And so we try to be prayerful and keep talking. Yeah, I can't. You know, I, I we talk about this with our kids at the table, and and we're taking them through a book right now at dinner called Stamped, where we're, we're it's a it's made for teenagers to talk about these kind of things, how to be anti-racist. And, you know, we've had to say to our son, who's 14, he has, he has one white friend, just kind of the way it worked out. He's got one white friend. And, you know, we have to tell him, like, buddy, when you guys are walking to Target, it's the same, it's the same path. You know, when you, you and your buddy from school want to go hang out at Target. I don't know why kids want to hang out at Target after school, but back when they were going to school, they would go hang out at Target. And I said, it's the same amount of steps, it's the same path, but it is a very different walk for him. It's a very different walk for this buddy or for that buddy because, you know, you're at that age, they're at that age where now they move from being cute kid to potential threat. And you're never going to, you probably will never understand that. And to help just have a little bit of understanding to go, this is a very different experience. It is a very, very different, that I can't fully understand, but I can listen and I can ask. And so I appreciate you speaking in. I have have one more question for you and then I'm going to give you, you can send us off, okay? You obviously are a pastor. You love the church. You love God's church. You know, you know it's not perfect. You know that there's no perfect church. But we all know that the church can be better and do better when it comes to this. And so I would love for you, how, how do you think the church can be better and do better when it comes to speaking up against and even being a part of dismantling these demonic um, sinful systems and habits and patterns of injustice in our country. What can the what is the church's unique role? You you know I would love for you just to to preach at me and preach at the back of the couch for those people who are watching on their couch right now. Just preach at the back of the couch about it. You know, at the core of this gospel is sacrifice. Hmm. Uh, that word love uh, means to hold one in the highest regard and to have the highest form of concern with demonstration. The highest form of love is not affection. It's sacrifice. Jesus demonstrates that on the cross. He's not blowing kisses from the cross. He's not giving hugs. Mm -hmm. He is bleeding and dying so that we could have life. Mm -hmm. At the core of the cross is purpose. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's life and life more abundantly for us. And, And Jesus tells us 
that if we try to save our lives, we'll lose it uh, and, and vice versa. And so I think for the church that loves Jesus, that serves Jesus and follows Jesus, it must look differently from the church at the slave castle in Ghana mm. that is able to worship mm. above mm -hmm. uh, black people mm -hmm. while they are in dungeons and in chains below. Mm. I think um, on many levels with, with women, the police brutality thing, I think the church, number one, can just acknowledge when wrong is yeah. wrong. What's, yeah, what's wrong? What's, what's so scary about doing that? Right. At, at the fundamental level, I, I think what you're doing, you are demonstrating what the church should be doing. Your church is demonstrating what the church should be doing. This is wrong. Uh, uh, Ahmaud Arbery, uh, this whole idea of him, well, he ran into a house that was under construction no. and ran. Uh, well, he didn't take anything or do anything. And let's say he did for hypothetical sake. The sentence is death? No. It's a death sentence? George Floyd, let's say for the sake of argument, he tried to present a $20 counterfeit bill. And you put your knee on your neck and kill him slowly no. in front of cameras and no. For, for my white brothers and sisters to see that and the police union come out and say, let's not rush the judgment. But the officer rushes the judgment. Yeah. And we are fine with the officer rushing the judgment. Yeah. But we when can. we are on the other end of it, uh, Dylan Roof walks in and kills nine black people in church. And he gets a ride to Burger King on his way to jail. I know. I can't even. Uh, and in the reverse, we get killed on location. The church can say it's wrong, mm -hmm. number one. Mm -hmm. uh, number two, the church can be empathetic. Mm -hmm. Not sympathetic. Yeah, it's, um, explain Empath the difference. What's the difference between empathetic there and sympathetic? What do you mean? Sympathetic is, I just feel sorry for you with no intent to do anything. Yeah to stand with you, to be with you, to speak out against it, yeah. to speak out against potential racist counterparts. Right. See, white people have to talk to white people. White people don't always listen to black people. Mm. Some do. This is an example of that. Mm. But in many instances, there are many white people who won't listen to black people when they scream but they will listen to a white person to say, arrest her, mm -hmm. convict her. She gets sheep. Peers have to talk. Peers. And we've been screaming for 400 years. Right. And, 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 and systemically. So I think the church has to be bold enough to speak directly to their communities, yeah. to their cultures, yeah. and, and functionally actually stand with, with black people. Yeah. And I know because of my involvement with so many beautiful people across all different ethnicities when it comes to the church, many are afraid of the word politics. Mm -hmm. Politics are the policies and procedures by which we are governed. Mm -hmm. The policies and procedures 
They are poisoned by varying ideas and attitudes, but it's simply how we're governed. There are many policies that are policies that are racist that affect us every single day. Being able to say this policy marginalizes black people. This policy keeps resources from going to black communities. This policy keeps schools from being funded in an adequate and effective way. This policy keeps black communities from being developed economically or healthcare being accessed. And and so being able to, to say this policy is wrong, we need to change this policy and make it fair, liberty and justice for all. And and lastly, the last thing that I can say is, and I said this to a a, a, a a white business friend, a businessman, friend of mine, says, I want to know how to be your friend right now. And I listed some of these things. And the last thing that I said was, use some resources that you would have to fund and support the good guys yeah. who are trying to fight yeah. bad guys. But it takes resources to turn the tide, to make change. Uh, People have to work around the clock and they can't work for free. So it takes staff and it it takes projects and programs and protests. Uh, It it, it takes lawyers and all types of legal things. And so uh, organizations like Until Freedom and and the Grassroots Law Project and and the North Star National Action Network, yeah. Rainbow Push. There's so many other organizations. Yeah. A dear friend, um, Pastor Mike, his, his last name fails me. He's doing great work. Um, and so I think the church, in my mind, uh, preaches the gospel, man. The whole gospel. The whole gospel, right, right, right. For all yeah. people, yeah. yeah. For all of Love myself. Your... Yeah. yeah, as yourself, yeah. Well, I listen, man, I am so incredibly grateful for you giving of yourself and how quick you were able to make this happen. And I know you got a lot of things going on right now and so that you would make time for this conversation and for our church is incredibly, incredibly meaningful to me. And I miss you guys, uh, love you guys. I trust you very much. And I'm so grateful that you're a part of the conversations that are church is having so man you know how much the city loves you and misses you and i know you're back here from time to time so i'm looking forward to when we can actually see each other face to face again i wonder charles would you uh be willing we're going to move into a time of responding to god you know asking god to break these chains in us and in our country in the system would you mind just praying for us as we move into a time of responding to god and just know that we love you and love your family we're so grateful for you but love if you'd lead us in prayer yeah, I'm gonna pray. Let me say, is this is this the, is this the I'm about to wrap up part? This is uh, you know, I'm Baptist, so this is the, 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 the as I wrap up, as I wrap up. This is the final quote. <laughs> we love y'all. We love Chicago. Um, it's in our veins, and and as I've said, I said to Mayor Lightfoot when we first met, we got sweat and blood yeah. on the ground on so many levels, and and helping to try to make the city better. Uh, but but I want to say this and then I'm going to pray. This is very simple. Arrest, convict, and sentence the bad guys. That's, yeah. And we know all step guys one. are bad. That's step all one. guys are yeah. yeah. But that's all we say. Yeah. And, 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 and the church should be at the forefront of calling for that. Yeah. Uh, Father, thank you so much for my, my dear friend, uh, 
Pastor Jared, thank you for his heart, for his courage, for his leadership, for his strength. I pray that so many beautiful people will be ignited, inspired, empowered at this moment in time. A moment of action. Faith without works is dead. I pray, God, that you would order somebody's thoughts, order somebody's steps. Um, There's some people that don't know what to do. Father, we understand according to your word that you call us to be prayerful Mm -hmm. and devotional, Mm -hmm. but you also call us to be functional and purposeful. Mm -hmm. And so, Father, I pray that you would stir every heart and every mind that listens. I pray that you would bring healing. I pray that you would bring clarity and understanding. I pray that compassion and conviction uh, would be stirred. And, And I pray, God, that Uh, you would move uh, all of us uh, towards each other in a way that we can communicate. Uh, For those who have hatred in their hearts, I pray that you would root it out. And and I pray uh, for the sin of racism, that you kill it, that you kill the sin. Kill the sin that leads people to kill people, to marginalize, redline, limit uh, people. And uh, I pray, God, that you would just bless every thought, every idea, every effort, heal every hurting family, uh, every person who has been touched by this in an in a adverse, negative way, bring healing uh, and hope. Uh, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.